Hello and welcome to the Data for Subscriptions podcast, where we uh, will today focus on the energy sector. And I'm happy to um, welcome John from Siemens Energy to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Fantastic. So, John, you lead the uh, digital business development team at Siemens Energy. So would you mind just telling us a little bit more about what you do? Well, I can't say that I lead the team, but I'm definitely part of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, are a group that works with our digital portfolio, our customers, and we're creating uh, new business models and developing the business around uh, our energy customers and the digital products that we offer into that sector. Um I can actually say probably right up top that although I do work for Siemens Energy, um, appearing here with you in this uh, conversation, uh, my views are obviously my own. So, Gotcha. So I'm particularly excited about this conversation because we uh, talk a lot about subscription businesses or as a service or recurring businesses, whatever we may call them. But this time we're going to speak about something where we're absolutely at the depths of like industrial manufacturing, really heavy stuff. So it's going to, it's a very different type of business than what some of the other s- software businesses that we've typically talked about. So it's going to be really interesting to hear about your journey. And if we kind of tee it off a bit, and let's let's talk about this transition that we see in the energy center uh, sector. Um, and you talk often about you know. From a more of a cent, you know, transition to centralized operations. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about why that is? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, we can really start at uh, climate change and the climate crisis, mm-hmm. and uh, and this is obviously driving a huge uh, transition. Call it the energy transition uh, in, in our sector, and it's a move from a sort of conventional fossil um, based production of energy to a renewable one. And that shift on the surface may seem like um, well, it's just swapping out one technology for another. Uh, it's not easy, but we'll get there. Um, but it has a lot of implications for how we, as uh, as a company, have uh, have to design and think about the way we design our products and, and services to support that transition. Um, we play a big role in not just the equipment that's out there, but also how that equipment is managed, monitored, operated, uh, maintained throughout its life cycle. And um, in in my part of the business, where we work with the digital products for the service side of things, um, the the implications of going from large centralized power plants to a highly distributed renewable landscape uh, are quite quite large and have really sort of meaningful uh, implications for how we think about and how we design uh, products and services. So I can, if you'd like, I can give some examples of, of oh, yeah, that'd where be that great. comes from. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we think about um, replacing fossil capacity, so let's say a large coal-fired plant or a uh, something like this with hundreds of megawatts, if not gigawatts of power uh, capacity with uh, similar capacity um, made up of wind and solar and waves. Um, what you quickly find out is that um, the sun shines in certain areas, in certain parts of the day. Uh, there's really nice wind patterns, but only in certain geographical areas. Um, Oftentimes, uh, you have to spread that out a bunch of different areas. You can't build it wherever you'd like to, like we used to in the old days. We put a power plant where you want to consume it, right in the middle of town or at the edge of town, something like this. It's what we call centralized production. Um, With the distributed production, um, we end up having to spread these things out. Um, Not only that, we have much larger sort of footprint installations. So we have not just like one windmill, but we have a wind farm. 
and not just one wind farm, but a fleet of wind farms right. and many, uh, many solar uh, fields and so on. And what that means is we have many, many more units to deal with, to manage, to monitor and to operate with. Uh, so from our perspective, talking on the digital side, when it comes to sort of like IoT or building up solutions around energy producers and their their equipment, is that we're not necessarily just connecting to one or two or three uh, assets anymore. We're connecting to hundreds and thousands of assets. And those hundreds and thousands of assets aren't delivering 100 or 1,000 signals. They're delivering 500 thousand, a million signals or inputs and outputs that need to be monitored with SCADA systems and so on. So the the problem um, from our side, sort of technically when we're developing the products, goes from um, simple or self-contained units to uh, just fleets that are spread out, really distributed and highly complex with lots of Mm -hmm. of data. And that that, uh, is a problem uh, that we have to contend with from from the technology side. How do we manage and monitor these things? Um, but also very much from the customer side, from a utility, from the power firms that are that are producing. They have to manage and monitor these things. So just like with us, back in the day, they would sit and they'd have their central control room and they'd right. have eyes on everything. Um, and now they have to contend with their power plant being spread out over an entire grid. Uh, and that's a huge challenge for them. Uh, and getting back to your initial question, uh, why centralizing? Why are they centralizing operations? It's actually to contend with that complexity. Mm. And they can do that, and we see this happening more and more, uh, by leveraging the data that's sent from those sites, from those energy assets, bringing it to a single point, a remote operating center or a control center, uh, where they can monitor the equipment from one place with a select team of experts that have digital tools, that have uh, contacts, remote contact with the site personnel. Um, they can manage all of the planning and organization around their maintenance and operations, and they have a single point of contact for their uh, interactions with their grid operator, who they deliver to their customer. Right. Oh, this is an interesting angle. I just want to make sure that everybody who kind of follows this dialogue understands the angle that we chose is because many times when we have these discussions around as a service transitions for companies, it typically tends to be, okay, so we're providing our products in such a way, kind of one-time sales mode, and then now we wanted to shift for a specific reason to providing as a service. What you just shared now was that, I mean, the big ask really kind of starts at the top from the fact that we have a huge need to kind of figure out our energy needs. Mm. From there, it means a totally different way of producing and distributing energy, which means that you need to have basically a totally different digital backbone, which is the connection to cloud. And so then becomes the products that are just, then we have the connection to IoT and all the different kind of data points and so on. It's a, it's a complex chain, I think, that you just shared with us quickly because that's, there's a lot of complexity in each and one of those steps. But one of the things I wanted to concentrate on here is because at, at the end point of you said the, um, the digitalized products, if I may just go all the way down the road and say, how do you monetize from Siemens Energy this transition for yourselves? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a good question because it wasn't uh, it isn't necessarily I should say on the surface uh, obvious sort of why you'd want to um, move you know from um, 
uh, sort of having distributed operations to centralizing them, but it comes from uh, from necessity. You said top top level. I would say first principles. So the first principles being that everything is spread out, mm-hmm. and uh, that comes with a certain cost, and it sort of mirrors you know our business models, the way that we think about how we organize ourselves uh, around solving problems. Uh, it mirrors the customer problem. So if the customer is, is forced to sort of centralize their operations in order to manage the complexity. Uh, so too must we uh, centralize uh, the way that we operate and develop our products. So thinking about cloud, thinking about um, bringing everything uh, under one roof together so that we can um, not manage by separate installations, but by tenants. Sure. Uh, we can leverage, for example, um, not just having like uh, the, the, the domain knowledge uh, you know, in our uh, own engineers and so on, but but kind of productizing them and making them models what we might call a digital twin or something like this, where we can sort of apply that, leverage it within our cloud stack, within our IoT infrastructure, uh, and then sort of replicate it and use it across multiple different tenants, multiple different customers. Mm. So we sort of leverage the, the domain know-how in multiple different channels. Um, that's one uh, way that we monetize it. I think the other is around... Um, uh, consolidating uh, a lot of the services which we maybe historically would have done um, sort of replicate customer by customer by customer or client side by site by site. Uh, and we can think about how can we um, take advantage of technologies like cloud and IoT infrastructure where we can, um, again, put all of that know-how and knowledge into microservices and APIs and think of it more as um, we have a layer of data coming from the field, from all of these assets. It runs through our single point of knowledge and expertise, which we call our sort of API layer or our microservices layer. Right. And then we can dispatch the outputs of those things to, uh, to customer applications, to end users that are trying to solve problems. And then they feed back data and it's a, it's a loop, right? So we gotcha. have um, a way of driving out cost in what we deliver and keeping the end product um, sort of affordable uh, with respect to the value it gives to the customer, uh, despite the fact that we are now dealing with thousands of more assets. Um, so it's really a matter of um, thinking like thinking like our customers think. We're going to get back to the uh, customer value, but why don't we why don't we take a couple of minutes and you talk us through how does the product portfolio of Siemens Energy look like? Because I'm not sure everybody is familiar with that by default. So what what are you guys actually providing? Sure. So uh, I, I probably won't be able to address all of Siemens Energy because it's no. quite a large company. Um, but um, what I would say maybe is more relevant for this discussion in the digital domain sure. where, where I'm working, uh, we really look at um, a few key areas of um, support for energy clients. This is primarily around um, energy management. So how do we, again... Um, figure out which assets to be dispatching when, how do we uh, create interoperability within networks, allowing utilities to work with grids and grids to work with utilities, that kind of thing. Um, We work with asset management. So whether that is just pure diagnostics and reliability sort of um, uh, analytics and that kind of thing, uh, or even more advanced sort of predictive and prescriptive maintenance that can allow customers to do things like condition-based monitoring or asset performance management. Um, we do quite a lot with uh, thermal performance improvements. So thinking about how we can help producers be more efficient in their production, conserve fuel, reduce emissions, that sort of thing. Uh, And last but certainly not least, and probably uh, 
one of the more important things as we move further and further into a digital realm would be the cybersecurity aspects, uh, not just for IT, but but for the operating technology, the OT side of things. So um, energy infrastructure, uh, super critical to our survival. Um, there are certainly critical assets. Uh, they're important to energy security. Uh, and, and in order to manage them, on one hand, we need to connect them and get data out of them and, and send information back to them. On the other hand, we need to keep them secure. So uh, cybersecurity is absolutely one of the one of the cornerstones of, of what we do in the digital side. So quite clearly, I mean, most of, if not all of the services that you talked about are just digital services basically that you provide on top of the hardware that you sell, but you do sell hardware as well. I mean, the gas turbines that, that we've seen examples of, of, these are just massive sale products that you sell. So, so there's a line, uh, or there's a, um, uh, I'm coming from this guest services side, as, as you said, is this sort of this aftermarket or service market where mm -hmm. we put the uh, digital products on top. Um, but of course, uh, within the energy side uh, or the the new the new side, we have um, gas turbine manufacturing production even here in Sweden. Yeah. Um, from sort of small uh, industrial gas turbines all the way up to to the, the largest gas turbines in, in the world. Um, that's sort of uh, in the in the in the conventional space. Yeah. Uh, then we also work with um, with renewables, uh, Siemens Gamesa, the wind turbine division, our um, uh, and and sort of transformation of industry. So thinking about industrial processes and how we can make them more effective, and uh, it goes even further into grid technologies and that kind right. of thing. So we really run the gamut from um, primary energy production to uh, end users. So to connect the dots now, so if we take the gas turbines, that I mean, I guess it's, it's one of the core products of Siemens Energy for for age is something that you've done for a long time. So this is like this is a classic product, but this is the one that you kind of renewed, so to say, with connecting the dots with the IoT sensor and the data and the cloud, so that you by providing this, you've been providing this product as a service as well, if we call it as a service. Mm -hmm. So you can either buy that product or you can actually. Um, consume it as a service, if I understand it correctly? Uh, the digital products or... Uh, for the gas turbine specifically. Isn't it so that you can actually um, pay for ah, that right, right. in a subscription model, if sure. I can? Sure. So, so I think in the in the sort of legacy business, we, we don't really refer to it as subscriptions. Okay. Um, we, we, we think of them more in terms of service contracts and... and um, um, if we want to use the term sort of like a recurring revenue model yeah. um, where we contract or we are rather contracted to support the life cycle of the turbine from uh, its installation and commissioning through its guarantee or warranty period uh, to the end of uh, its its project life, which can be 46 right. years. Um, and then we are under contract to, um, for example, maintain the equipment uh, at certain intervals or we can even be contracted to operate and maintain the equipment. So really just... Um, Siemens uh, energy personnel move into your power plant and and take care of it for you. Um, those contracts, as, you, as I think you're alluding to, they can be set up in a, in a bunch of different ways, um, but typically they do have some type of um, guarantees associated with them um, for them to be successful. So it could be reliability guarantees or performance guarantees or a certain number of hours, and that's a, a benchmark um, that we use to... Um, sort of wrap these contracts up. So it's um, uh, 
uh, reliability as a service or whatever you'd like to call it. I'm just trying to put it in exactly. digital terms or exactly. more of a, a tech, techie term. But, uh, but essentially, yes, and we've been doing that for quite a while. Um, I think it, it's, it's gotten um, more and more interesting, especially as the energy transition progresses and the role that the gas turbine plays in the energy system changes. Um, so, for example, um, if you think back to uh, sort of classic energy systems where the gas turbine is central to the to the production, yep. um, it would be running typically at, at a base load operation, 8,760 hours a year, and you, it would just be fully running. Um, that is not the case anymore, and we're seeing that more and more as renewables become um, more active and, and taking a larger and larger place in the wholesale energy markets gas turbine role is, is changing because the market context is changing. So what used to be running 8,760 hours a year is now maybe running at part load or um, it's uh, off for some periods of time and then peaking when, for example, it gets very, very cold out or there's a high, um, high demand. Um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a technical challenge that, that the engineers have to figure out to make sure that the machines can, can manage it. Um, and then from our side, from the digital side, also sort of monitoring, creating products that can um, understand you know, the condition of those assets and, and guarantee that the reliability is there, that the operational capacity is there. So when they need to, when they need to spin up and, and ramp up and, and deliver, when someone flips the light switch, the light goes on. Um, and yeah. This is really interesting. I'm not going to ask you necessarily to go into sensitive stuff, but I'll just summarize for us then. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at this as a product that you talked about now from a gas turbine perspective, so if you go back, let's, let's just take it all the way back 20 years. Of course, you as a utility company, energy producer, you would buy these products. Naturally, you have a service contract and warranties from Siemens, Siemens Energy. But today, just listening to how you talked about it is that A, because of different reasons that you've already articulated, renewable energy and so on, these turbines are being used differently, which means that when you offer the product in a different way, now let's call it recurring, uh, recurring revenues or subscription mode, same, same, is that it allows the customer, and now I'm going to try to connect it back to the value point, is that you're actually providing a value that's different and matching the specific needs of the customer today because the product is used different. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting how you talk about, for example, the conversation is more about uptime and reliability when that's needed. And that's what the customer is paying for as opposed to the traditional means of I buy the product, I own the product, and you guys services when it's need to. And that's a fascinating transition that you guys have done. Um, now, if we take it back to the customer value discussion more so, what would you summarize as the um, two, three uh, main points of value that you perceive from the customer side as you've now shifted much more over to a digital service model? Yeah, uh, it's, it's um, uh, again, we can, we can go back a bit to first principles. That's kind of the way that I, I think about these things anyway. Um, when we talk about a conventional asset like a gas turbine, um, when they are operating and feeding into a market, into a grid, um, they typically been doing this into a wholesale market, like a spot market. So you look on uh, on your phone in the morning, like I do, when it gets cold out, and I get a little bit nervous about what the electricity prices are. Those electricity prices, those spot prices, um, they related to the marginal cost of production of whoever the last producer was to to generate that kilowatt hour or megawatt hour of energy mm -hmm. into the grid, um, and and that 
that marginal cost of production is always top of mind for for gas turbine customers, especially those in in a in an energy system or a grid that that has transitioned into um, a more and more renewable um, renewable grid. Um, the sort of marginal cost of production are, are based on a few factors. So these are the sort of first principles I was alluding to. Um, you have um, fixed costs, which is typically like personnel and things like this. And then you have a variable costs, which are tied to the production itself. So um, when you produce. Um, and what we see the customer value is, is that exactly that shift. How do we figure out how do we take our fixed costs, uh, which we always have no matter what we're producing, uh, into this new realm where we're not always producing anymore. How do we reduce those? How do we get rid of the fixed costs or or shift them to variable costs so that our costs only show up when we are producing, when we are making money? Um, so we kind of think about it in that way with the digital products. Um, how can we help customers, A, transition their, um, their fixed cost to variable costs? Uh, and we can do that in a few ways. Um, speaking from the digital perspective yeah. now, how can we operate plants autonomously? How can we demand them? How can we remove um, not personnel from um, from the company, but consolidate expertise, for example, in a remote operating center so that they can serve more assets, um, do more with less, basically? Mm -hmm. um, and then on the, um, the maintenance side of cost, the fixed maintenance cost, these kinds of things, how can we transition them to uh, pure variable maintenance costs? So... If the machines only degrade and and uh, and wear wear down when they're operating, well, let's make sure that the maintenance we're doing is just in time based on the condition of the assets, and we do that purely digitally. So we can monitor the condition of the assets. We measure the all these different temperatures and sensor um, temperatures and pressures and so on. Uh, these get run through models um, that we were talking about earlier, yep. and report back on the condition of the components so that you can replace that component, swap it out, uh, do maintenance when it's needed. So that that gets rid of um, a large amount of fixed costs. It shifts fixed costs to variable costs. Right. And then the final part, the, the value that we bring is around um, the production. So obviously, if you can produce more or if you can produce more often, um, you can make uh, more money, you can stay in business longer. And I think that's, that's a one of the, the key aspects around the performance portfolio. So when you are producing, well, let's make sure that you're having the lowest possible emissions. Let's make sure that you're using the smallest amount of fuel. Let's make sure that your processes are as, as efficient as possible. Um, so our portfolio and the products that we design are very, very much in line with and sort of um, mirroring the challenges that the customer has on a very sort of first principle level, um, looking at those costs, looking at their... Um, where they're spending money, when they're spending money, and making sure that they're spending, you know, keeping their costs down. Would you go as far as saying that, it was interesting, the last point you mentioned, would you go as far as saying that um, as you guys work more in a digital fashion, in a, let's call it just in subscription mode for the sure. sake of this audience, uh, does that mean that you as an organization at Siemens Energy become more customer-centric automatically by just that mode of working? I think that, not necessarily more customer centric, but I think we all become very much more aware of the challenges that customers have in 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 a sort of holistic way. So offering products as a service um, and not just the you know the pure value proposition, right? Where we would maybe install some software on site and uh, and and um, 
and then go home. Um, now we're we're managing more than just the the software, uh, the, the the core value proposition. We're also managing the support of that software. That's part of the as a service concept. So um, making sure it's secure first and foremost, making sure that the customer's data is secure, that there's uh, the, the access rights are applied correctly, that um, these things happen in the proper way. But then also making sure that the content is uh, continuously updated as the machine degrades. Are those digital twin models, are they also being trained in the background and adapting to the, the as-is condition and reporting back accurate information? Is it useful? Yeah. Um, making sure that um, when customers need support, that we also, again, have that sort of multi-tier support depending on what level they, they require, whether it's sort of I'm, I'm locked out of my account or I need to, um, I need to get help um, installing some new um, asset template so I can bring in new assets online or if it's uh, something more technical like um, my plant is down and I need like experts to walk me through getting back up and running. Uh, so we've always been doing these things, but now we're packaging them, I think, increasingly so uh, together as a service model, which uh, allows us to be way more effective in, in delivering that to the customer. Gotcha. So we've touched the question of data many, many times during our conversation. I want to dig a little bit deeper into that com- uh, topic. And there are two angles of data that I'm particularly interested in. Uh, one is the amount of data that you just have access to, which you've talked about many times, how you basically learn from it, which you can then reapply to make sure you can add more value for the customer. And the other angle is is how customers pay for, basically pay for use or pay for the services that they have. So my question to you is this, is how do you make sure that for these two different vectors, how do you set up um, your backend or your infrastructure so that you can manage the amount of data in an effective way? Well, I mean, that that's um, probably the, you know, we talked earlier about how do we monetize uh, a shift to a cloud SaaS models, for example. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of that is is about um, adopting cloud technologies. So going away from physical server layers, that kind of thing, which we, which we had sort of legacy business and thinking more in terms of cloud, thinking more in terms of um, what is the scalability of the solution and also thinking in terms of sort of like Swiss army knife thinking. So yes, we build this, um, infrastructure to manage vast volumes of data. Is there a way that we can um, not necessarily commodify it, but at least leverage it to provide other services, other value-add services, whether that's internally or uh, into into the market as as products? So, um, thinking about volume of data, security of data, these kinds of things, um, sort of managing that centrally um, through um, uh, through sort of cloud systems and and um, our infrastructure, IT infrastructure. What is your opinion about, we talked about this uh, as well separately before we kind of jumped into this live session, is what is uh, your opinion about building yourself versus using best practice or standalone mm-hmm. software for these things? Because I think this is one of those ocean dividers, I, I still mm-hmm. think, in, in the industry where especially engineering companies have a tendency to kind of go, well, how hard is it? I'm just going to build my data back in myself because I look at how many products that I've built over the years. So this can't be any different. While you have obviously, especially in the cloud realm, you have companies that are specifically building software that they're really good at for the purposes Mm -hmm. that we're talking. What's your personal view about this? 
Yeah, exactly. I think that that is a tendency that you do see with technology companies because you know, successful technology companies, um, they've, they've solved a hard problem, right? They've, they've done something that no one else can do. They have certain domain expertise that nobody else has. Uh, and, and when they go from sort of, let's say, an on-prem sort of perpetual license model to an as-a-service model, they already have the core value proposition in hand, right? That's the hard part in, in, in the sort of... Um, and in, in that way of thinking, um, I think when you then go from that core value proposition to uh, to a SaaS model, for example, where you're now providing it as a service, you have lots of other aspects that get tacked onto that in order to bundle and wrap it up. Um, and as you're saying, you have a tendency or the fallacy is to think, well, I've done the hard part. How hard could this be? Um, and and it's it is a bit of a not a trap, but it can be a bit of a. Um, a wake-up call, I think, um, because you realize you have to contend with um, all of a sudden auth and auth Z services that work across multiple different cloud vendors and multiple different uh, networks and so on. And then you have to contend with uh, having a, um, a service support line that's available 24-7 across seven continents or at least six. Uh, and then you have to deal with um, cybersecurity and making sure that all of those platforms are secure where previously that was something that was relegated to the customer's IT provider in their network. They provided the security, we provided the software. But as a service, especially in cloud, um, means that now you are not just wearing that one hat, you're now also the cybersecurity provider, you're also the support provider, you're also doing the configuration and, and, uh, and maintenance on that software. Uh, it, it becomes a challenge uh, of scale. And uh, as you said, leveraging the best of what other people have already done um, it, it, it sometimes or it oftentimes feels like it should be choice number two, but I uh, honestly think that it's um, it's probably in companies' best interest to to um, focus on what their real value add is. Um, so whatever that core value proposition is, whatever their unique selling point is, um, and making sure you deliver that first well. Um, and sometimes the best way to do that is is to buy in services uh, as you need. And you know, quite luckily in, in twenty twenty three, that's that's not a problem. Um, that's what companies like Amazon and Azure and Microsoft and all these things are set up to do. So there's a there's a a, a lot uh, that can be uh, saved in terms of time, time to market, speed, speed of development, and uh, and resources internally within your own company as you're setting these things up. If you think, if you dare to think, you know, sort of outside the box in, in, these, in these ways. So if we kind of give some advice to anybody who's in a similar kind of position as Siemens Energy was, say, roundabouts 10 years ago and, and are looking at, there are many companies in the manufacturing space that are either starting their own journey or are somewhere along their journey, such as you guys. What will be your advice to them? What are, what are the, say, three, four things that you would say, follow these practices to make sure that you get a good start? Hmm. Um, the, 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 it's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to think through maybe, um, some of my own experiences. Um, I think thinking about scalability, not for the problem that's sort of right in front of you, but the problems that you, that you may have to solve. Um, it's, uh, it can oftentimes seem like the obvious choice, right? You say, well, I want to, um, I need to scale this up very, very quickly, or I want to have the ability to scale this up very quickly. Um, and you end up going uh, and designing an incredibly complicated and robust system. Um, it's not a bad thing uh, at scale. Um, but I think there's, 
it's underappreciated this sort of try things, test things out, um, especially in the in this sort of cloud environment where you have the ability to make sort of large scale changes very quickly. You can delete something, you can add something new. Um, being able to test things out and try try new things and sort of rapidly prototyping, rapidly um, sort of uh, creating new iterations of something uh, is is really beneficial to the innovation process in, in general. Um, so not getting locked into thinking, I have to make, you know, whatever this small idea is on the back of a napkin, my next step, uh, you know, it should be scaled up to uh, infinity. Uh, I'm not sure that that's always the best approach. Uh, you will need to do it at some point. Um, so that's probably point two, um, which is think about your architecture. So even if your, um, your initial prototype is not... Um, fully robust and industrialized, the, the environments that you're working in should be. You should have secure environments. You should have um, the opportunity to scale when you need to, um, but not at the expense of sort of being able to rapidly innovate and come up with new ideas. Um, I think maybe uh, sort of on a, an optimistic and, and fun note to, to uh, end my list on would also be uh, to work with customers, to work with your customers. Um, really through whatever method, if it's co-creation or design thinking together with them, um, really focusing on what their challenges are, what their needs are. I mentioned earlier that our portfolio kind of mirrors the realities and then challenges that our customers work with. That's not an accident. Um, we, we work with our customers quite extensively to make sure that that is the case. So um, it, it, it keeps you keeps you humble. It keeps you focused on um, solving the right problems. Uh, and you also have a great feedback culture. So if you do something that doesn't make sense to a customer, they will tell you. And then you can iterate again and iterate again until you get it right. Um, so that having those three things together, sort of being able to iterate and innovate quickly, uh, being able to scale when you get it right, and knowing that you're getting it right because you're listening to your customer, I think probably the three things I would... I would throw into a list. That's fantastic. I'm thinking about all the different uh, customer dialogues that I have had the chance to be part of in the last couple of years, actually, also uh, beyond Digital Route, is the aspect of being able to test and not being faced with a barrier to be able to test is turning out to be probably one of the most, if not the most important aspect. Because whether you're a, a smaller organization or a bigger organization, that seems to be uh, the barrier that holds you back because mm. you already have emotion going and you're strategizing perhaps in terms of whether you're being forced to because competitive forces or you think that you can add more value, create more value for the customers. But then the barrier is this one, is how do I know and how can I test in an area and then how can I make sure that I can tune in and listen with the help of data and then sure. be able to kind of put a little bit more throttle to it without necessarily risking or jeopardizing the existing business that you might sit on. So I think that is a particularly important point. Uh, let me ask you another angle because we've talked a lot about the business model, we've talked about the portfolio and technology at large. I want to speak for a moment about the organization as well because in my experience, switching to a recurring model or subscription mode does come with some organizational challenges as well because the business is actually quite different than what I called a traditional one-time sales mode. Have you had any experiences yourself in terms of what are some of the, let's say, questions or challenges one should deal with? Yeah. So, I mean, if you are um, uh, 
we think of like a customer centric organization that's that's building products that are you know highly highly tuned to uh, customer challenges, market needs, that kind of thing. Um, your company tends to structure itself to sort of mirror that in some way. Um, and I think that is also something that. Um, you know, as we go through, like, let's take the energy transition once again, um, where you're, um, um, we end up with this scenario where um, operations are being consolidated, and we, and we as a, as a service provider, as a vendor, need to start thinking also in these terms. And what that means for the organization, I guess you could say that um, what used to be silos, what used to be functions of, um, let's say, uh, maintenance expertise or um, you know, new engineering or uh, service side, you end up um, finding that when you transition to an as-a-service model, um, because you're packaging all of those competencies and domain know-how bits and pieces from from all over the organization, you end up um, kind of tearing down those silos in a lot of way, uh, and and that could be I, I suppose that could be quite quite painful for some organizations. Um, other organizations um, uh, might have an easier time at doing this. It, it really depends, I think, on the culture of the of the business um, and how freely you can move uh, and, and reshape things. Um, but it's it. it Almost inevitably means that your organization has to change, uh, and and that's um, that can be a challenge for sure. Have you had uh, to need to change incentives? Do you know within Siemens Energy when it comes to selling modes? Maybe this is too deep. Well, know, I'm you know? I'm not really sure. Uh, maybe that's probably probably a, a question best asked to some of my other colleagues. Okay, good. Let's see if we have any questions coming in from the audience. We have uh, one question uh, here now from uh, Fernanda. She is wondering uh, if you can talk about where the industry, when it comes to energy-related, she's talking about, mm-hmm. where where is it going in the next five years and what are the, some of the biggest challenges and opportunities? I think she's taking it all the way back to your first principle question. Mm-hmm. No? no, absolutely. I think that's... Um, uh, I think my, my, my follow question would be where, right? So I think that, um, of course, Siemens Energy works all over the globe and, and we see the energy transition happening, but the energy transition is very much, um, uh, even if it follows what we could maybe think of as typical patterns or evolutions, it's happening at different places at different speeds. So in some, uh, in some regions, if we look at uh, China and um, Southeast Asia and, and India, for example, um, happy Diwali, by the way, uh, we'll find uh, that there is a huge coal to gas transition, right? So there, uh, there we see a, a sort of a, a reduction of carbon footprint by transitioning from coal to uh, gas-fired plants, for example. Whereas in, uh, let's say, Northern Europe and um, parts of North America, it's um, going from gas to uh, pure renewables where we have a uh, huge sort of, well, we've, we've all read the news about uh, the spending bills in the U.S. and so on, financing all of these renewable technologies. So I suppose that that's, that's where it's headed. Um, the interesting thing to see is, is more... Uh, who gets there first, right? So, so who, which, which um, geographies, regions, countries um, um, are successful in tr- fully um, realizing a transition to a to a net zero uh, energy system, and what what can we learn from that? What can we take from that? Um, how does that market, you know, that new renewable energy market reach efficiencies? Uh, and, and does that vary across regions? Are there, you know, secret, is there a secret sauce in North America that doesn't work in, in Latin America? Um, I think that's, that's going to be interesting to watch for sure. I had a statement sent to me by uh, one of the participants 
I'm just going to share it. I'm sure. not sure. It, it's not necessarily a question. It's a sure statement saying that. So if we look at the predicted amount of energy, um, it's expected to increase and triple fold in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and this individual specifically is not seeing any you know solutions that can meet that. I'm not, this is a pretty big question. I'm not sure if you have any opinions about sure. this. Um, I mean, the, again, my opinions, but um, I think what... Uh, we, we definitely see that there is um, an increase in energy demand going forward, which is which is natural. I mean, we have lots of economies that are um, emerging and becoming wealthier. Um, we we have, I mean, huge populations that are coming out of um, relative poverty into mi- the middle class. And, of course, that is almost always associated with an increase in energy usage. Um, what I think is maybe interesting about the energy transition and the transition to renewables specifically is that, again, first principles, thinking about how um, you need to have um, an almost overcapacity of renewables in order to um, cover the gaps, um, an overcapacity of storage to, again, cover the gaps. Um, you end up in a scenario where that capacity uh, has to be used. When it does produce, you need to put it somewhere. Um, energy is generated and consumed at the same point in time. So if nobody's using it, it needs to go somewhere or you start curtailing it. Um, curtailment, so cutting off a, um, a solar farm, for example, in the middle of a sunny day is a huge, huge waste, right? So that can take a bunch of different forms, I think, going forward. One of those will absolutely uh, be to meet an increased energy demand. I have no doubt about that. Mm. Um and then we can talk about the other ways that that might develop in terms of power to X or other sort of increased activity between the grid and, and adjacent markets and sector coupling and all that kind of thing. Um, but, um, you know, energy demand will increase, uh, but uh, so will renewables. There's no stopping it. Uh, this has been a terrific conversation, John, because I, just as a concluding remark, um, you know, the energy sector, it, Needless to say, we need it to work, obviously, as effectively as possible, if um, if ever now, because of the reasons that you mentioned, A, the energy needs that we have going forward, B, the climate actions that we need to take. But that being said, it's interesting with the utility sector, because if we go back uh, 10, 15 years, we were talking about uh, smart meters that actually came from the utility sector. So it's actually an industry that was quite uh, early out with Mm -hmm. IoT and kind of pay for what you use that we talk about today. But definitely today we're we're talking about a totally different scale. The conversation today is largely about, it's a complete transformation, honestly, about Mm -hmm. the entire energy sector. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's a massive evolution. I mean, what you're referring to with, with smart meters is is uh, is not something that is we're going to see less of either. I think I think that kind of what we call demand side management, where you're not just sort of producing, producing, producing more yeah. and more, but also consuming smarter and smarter. Um, that's absolutely a, a key function of of a, a purely renewable energy system because we have to be smart about our resources and how we use them. Exactly. Sure. So my personal view is that although you know, it's a complex industry and ha- you know it's been around for as long as we can remember, I think it's, it's an industry I expect to see a lot of innovation, some of it painful, um, albeit, but I think there's going to be a lot of innovation and needs to be a lot of innovation in this space because if we just walk down the street, we talk a lot about uh, how electric vehicles are supposed to help transform society. Well, those that that fleet needs to basically be fueled in such a way mm-hmm. and it needs to be done with renewable energy and it needs to be done in an effective way. Mm-hmm. 
So I think that the whole business model transformation that you guys have started now from your end, how you work with the utility companies, there's a full chain that goes all the way down to the consumers and how we basically pay for the electricity we consume. And I think that that chain going forward is, is also going to loop in on itself as well. So yeah. just like you said, with the with the electric cars and e-mobility and that kind of thing, I, I, I think that that sort of... Um, that one directional chain of producers transmission to consumers um it has to um become more more complicated uh, in order for us to to get there in the end i think there will be lots more prosumers there will be many more models where electric car owners are also doing grid storage uh, maybe as a subscription uh, could be that's a great segue for maybe another conversation sure. with that john i think uh, this has been a terrific conversation thank you so much for your time well, thank you for having me Great thank, to thank you to uh, everybody who joined in.